Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Every week we join you and discuss all things trending in the wine world, even during COVID and lockdowns. Here we are in the winter of 2021. I'm Kim Simone. How are you today, Mark Lindsay? Everything's good, Kim. Good. Good to talk wine. Absolutely. Warm us up. (laughs) That's true. Wine can warm you up a little bit. This is definitely the season for those uh, rich reds and maybe time to break out your port. Last show, I believe, we spoke about some mulled wines and some uh, some warm wine cocktails. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about not necessarily the business of wine, but um, you know some of the thought leaders behind our current state of wine and the wine business. We've got an article from Forbes magazine. It's actually a two-part series from an author who we follow uh, fairly closely. Her name is Kathy and I have always a difficult time with her last name, Hoiha, I believe is how it's pronounced. And she publishes for Forbes and she often posts about wine business and kind of stays on top of what is going on in the wine world, really from a numbers perspective. So I thought this was a a great article to kick off our show this week, Mark. Kathy is always putting out a lot of articles in the wine industry and her her last name is spelled H-U-Y-G-H-E. So Kim, like Kim was saying, we always, I think, hack her name or mispronounce. And I know you reached out to her and found out the pronunciation. So uh, I'm glad you did that. Yeah. (laughs) So she's always following trends and and things in the wine world, which we love to talk about. So we found these two articles and a lot had to do with what's going on during COVID and how it's affecting wine. And, and what was your take on it, Kim? What would you like to talk about first? Um, you know, I think it's a, a really close reading of what consumers are doing and then how the industry is reacting. As she describes in this article, she says that this year has been tumultuous for the wine industry. And we've touched on this a few times over the last year. And it's absolutely true. And it's impacting every aspect of the wine industry, whether it is the wine aisle, as she likes to say, where consumers are browsing or not browsing or buying from the comfort and safety of home to who is selling wine, who is not able to sell wine at the moment and from the production side as well. So, you know, it's this is really a year that has impacted all facets of wine in in every way that we know it. Yeah. And I like how you said she likes to find out what consumers are doing. And as wine educators and and a wine buyer, it's something that I can never get a handle on. I'm always looking for people to tell me what do people want? What are people looking for price-wise? What's happening you know, let me know. And it's, and I always come back to, it seems like it's more always a regional thing because you read all these national articles. This is what's hot. This is what people want. This is what people see in the aisles. And it's hard to get a handle of. And, and Kathy does a good job of getting the information out. 
Mm-hmm. One of the main takeaways from this article is that this year it seems to be about redistributing wine. So some of our regular distribution networks and especially how it comes to restaurants has really been turned upside down because of what is happening in the re- on the restaurant side of our industry, but also that consumers really are looking for familiarity and comfort. You know, this isn't the time that people are really trying to experiment and find some new things. This is more going with their tried and true favorites. And I wonder how much of that has to do with the comfort level and how much of it has to do with people reducing the amount of time that they're spending shopping for wine. I can imagine yeah. you probably see people darting in and out of your store as opposed to browsing browsing through the aisles these days, huh? Yeah. And we talked about in our last show allocations, which has a lot to do with this topic of, of distribution. And it's interesting, Kim, that you mentioned that about people going with not wanting to go new things and kind of going with the same old. And and I think you're right. It has to do with people during the peak of the COVID wanted to make one stop and they didn't really want to branch out and look maybe for different things. They just, you know, I know this, I'm going to get it here and that's it. But the the other side is I did see people because they didn't want to go into the retail store were reaching out and saying, you know what? I'm not coming in there. Just pick me out some good wines. Mm-hmm. And it was the opportunity as a retailer to say, you know what? I'm going to have them try this. I'm going to have them try this. And then the next time they said, you know what? You you mixed it up. Tried I tried some different things. I'd like to do that again. So mm-hmm. There was a good thing that people, I guess, not a a good thing that they were exploring, but also, like you said, they just wanted to get the tried and true because they knew it. They wanted to get the heck in and out. And that was it. Well, that's wonderful to hear, you know, a positive little story (laughs) coming out of COVID from your point as a retailer, where you had those customers that were comfortable enough with you and with your choices to give you carte blanche to just, you know, put those cases together. I mean, we've we've both done a lot of that in our career where we have people who trust us to do the picking for them and put together, I don't want to say a mystery case, but, <laughs> you know, a variety of things. And then people get to explore and uh, and get some new things. I have to say that I'm probably guilty of both sides of that during this pandemic. You know, I've both gone with those things that I'm very familiar with. And then I know there have been a couple of occasions where I've come into you and I'll be like, all right, what do you have? <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure people explored more online stuff too. They said, you know what? I'm not going out at all. Mm-hmm. And let me just find something online and ship it to me and I'll try it type of thing. Yeah. Or they went, they tried and true and bought it online. Yeah. I wonder how much experimenting people are doing with that online shopping thing. Like how willing are people to purchase a bottle of wine that they've never tasted before, never seen before in a way that they're not going to be able to return it or give any feedback? Yeah, that could be a whole show. I yeah, mean, honestly, sure. <laughs> that, that topic always baffles me how you could purchase that way. Because like it's one thing with shoes because you could return the shoes, but I don't think yeah. you can return wine. Yeah, and it's because you touched on it just a few minutes ago. It's if you shop at a certain store and you associate with that store and trusting what they told you in the past, but now you're going online, you don't know anything about these people or these wines. So why trust them to say, yeah, try this? Mm -hmm. You know, there's no trust there. So I don't, I don't know how people do it. I mean, it's very convenient, obviously. But I wonder if they're, you know, if you shop on the same site 
time and time again, I wonder if it develops the trust factor. So well, I don't do yeah. a lot of wine shopping online. I, I actually don't think I've ever done any. But I wonder if it's a kind of thing where just like you develop a feeling for the types of wines and the styles of wines and the quality of wines that a certain shop might stock and might sell, maybe it's the same for an online store. This, yeah. this just still feels like such new territory right. for me when it comes to beverage shopping. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, you started this story with saying comfort zones, and I think people develop different ways during this whole thing. So mm-hmm. what else did Kathy touch on that we should talk about? Um, well, we already really talked about the in the changes in, in inventory. We did that in a in a previous show in how yeah. wines, you know, are now things that had only been allocated for restaurant distribution have kind of opened up for retailers as well. So there there could be some good finds out there for people. And it sounds like consumers are taking advantage of those once they make them into the wine store. So once you can find them at retail. But it sounds like that established brand comfort zone thing is a big deal for a lot of people. But then also there have been issues with being even able to get certain wines just because there are issues with the pipeline and being able to get certain things from the winery to the distributors to the end place where the consumer can buy it. So just like we saw so many other things in the spring and in the summer where, you know, maybe your grocery store was out of yeast for a month or it was flour was highly allocated, you know, that kind of thing. But and I think that that was also, like you said, a regional, you know, kind of a regional issue as well. Yeah. And I never really saw any real major issues on the wine side, more on liquor um, and beer, maybe because of canned shortages, but wine was pretty good. Now I'm seeing some shortage as we get further into this with bulk wines. Like there's a big shortage on like Calarasi jug wines. And I'm not sure because they're not focusing on volume jug wine or they're retooling or what. But so she did mention something about the bulk market. At one time there was too much. Right wine out there. And then the COVID hit. And I think she was saying and a demand for it. Mm-hmm. So at one time it was too much wine. Then they said, oh, geez, we don't have enough now. And that might be what's led to the shortage of these jug wines now. Yeah. And that, that seems to be a cycle that we do tend to see every once in a while in the wine world, that we have some times, spans of multiple years where there's all this talk about a wine glut. And, you know, we, we famously had a, a term called the wine lake, which yeah. is, you know, not a literal lake full of wine, but that there was so much bulk wine and less expensive wine coming in from the south of France and from Spain that there it was like nothing to do with all all of this wine. It was an issue in California a number of years ago, and now it seems to be going in the exact opposite direction. Not that there isn't enough wine to go around, but that wine lake has definitely dried up, whether people have found ways to use it or farmers have been discouraged from growing certain quality levels of wine. And with this year and with people's buying habits changing so drastically, that does seem to have a, have had an impact. And uh, this isn't the only article that I've, I've read that mentioned in. It's been fairly widely reported from people who, who write about these, these topics in the wine world. Yeah. And Kathy mentioned something about there was, at one point, there was too much wine, not enough consumption. And you've probably seen the same thing, Kim, in the wine world. And our listeners probably seen it where they say, well, the the drinking went way up 
during COVID. Mm-hmm. And then I've, I saw more recently said, you know what, people weren't really consuming as much. I mean, they were purchasing, but they, the consumption really wasn't what we thought it was. So, you know, once again, I don't know what to, what to believe on yeah. that. It almost feels like we've got a lot of incomplete data because I feel like different studies are just coming out with vastly different conclusions. So we have some that say that people are buying more, but they're buying less expensive. And then there are other studies that say the exact opposite, that people are buying less, but they're drinking better. Yeah. Um, And I don't know how many of these studies then incorporate the loss of business and the loss of consumption from a restaurant standpoint or from caterers or from events, weddings, you know, right. all all of those things, if those are taken into consideration or not. So yeah. I think we're still seeing an incomplete picture of what wine looked like in 2020. And I, I, who knows where this is going to go? I think it's, it's fascinating and interesting. And if it is true, at least just anecdotally, you know, listening to the people who I know who are wine drinkers or who never were drinkers before and are now, it almost feels like now that we have gotten to the point with the current situation where people are starting to develop a normal or a more normal routine within this whole mess that people have started to, I think, step back a little bit and be like, ooh, maybe my consumption was a little a little overboard. So I think there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of dry January going on this year. And that's a great point you brought up, Kim, about a lot of times we tell our listeners about all these things we're finding online about wine. We'd like to talk about them. But many times things are, you can't find out who they're taking this information from. Mm-hmm. Like you said, is it the restaurant wine sales? It's it for me, is it big box store? Is it smaller retail? Because there's a big difference on the data where it's coming from. You know, right. if they're saying bulk wine is up and you're a small independent retailer that doesn't sell bulk wine, what does that mean to you, right? right? So for, for our listeners, when you see stories out there in the wine world, uh, and we say this all the time about health things you see about wine, you're going to find something the opposite of what you see if it's good. It's going to, it's going to be something bad on the other side somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, and there's always a lag in those it. reporting numbers too, because I know that one of the, the big um, reports that we look at, which looks at sales and numbers and is put out out of California from a, a financial institute, that takes a full year for us to get that information. So we won't see the 2020 numbers from that study until probably September or October of 2021. So it does take a while. And also we need to remember that it takes some time for wine that is that leaves the winery to get to the distributor, to be sold to the store, and then for a consumer to buy it. So there may be a good six-month lag between when something leaves an importer or leaves a winery before it is actually purchased by a consumer. So it's, um, yeah, it's not like an instantaneous kind of thing where the data can be collected like that. It does take a long time. So I think we're going to be revisiting this topic again in the future once we have a little bit more complete picture from 2020. Right. There's more to come out. That's for sure. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you want more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. And if you'd like more information about myself, 
please go to franklinliquors.com. Now, Kim and I would like to tell everyone about a story that was in one of the local newspapers, the, the wicked local paper that you find on, well, in my case, on the street every weekend. Do you get the wicked local at your house, Kim, in Norfolk? Sometimes. Yeah. Not the, uh, There's a different one that we get. Norfolk I don't think it's version, Franklin's, right? a Norfolk version. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a Franklin show, so we're going to talk about the Franklin edition. <laughs> so there was an article about these two brothers. If people don't know, they started their own wine importing business, Kim, right here in Franklin. And Yay, local. <laughs> not a store you can go into, not a, a winery like La Cantina, but they import wine and they sell to people like me who owns a retail store or a restaurant like and uh, it was a, a very interesting story to me because it's local. Right. So this is, what is the name of their company? It's, I know that their website is- Vine v- Farmer. Vine Farmers. And their their website is vfwines.com. And it's two brothers and they both are self-described wine geeks. And one of them is an actual certified sommelier. Jason Caden. Jace is the uh, sommelier. And uh, you know, what was funny about this, Kim, I'll tell you and our listeners is I see the article in the paper. Oh, actually, I did. My wife said, you know, th- these guys, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, these two local guys. And I'm, I read the story. I'm like, not only are they in town, but they're right down the street from me. So I said, I got to contact <laughs> these guys and uh, met them, uh, drank through their, well, tasted through their portfolio. They're very into Italian wines mm-hmm. and not, not just Italian wines. And it goes with their name. They make personal connections with farmers, thus the name Vine Farmer. And they import very small production wines from Italy and some German portfolio as well. Mm -hmm. So very interesting stuff. So these are not wines that if people go and look through their website, which I have done, you know, these aren't going to be familiar labels and producers for anyone. Have these wines had distribution in Massachusetts before or are these brand new products to our shelves here? I think only one I've seen before. It was a Chianti producer that Mm -hmm. was around for a while. Uh, But like you said, Kim, it's all about, you say people are not familiar, but when you go to their website and you uh, are introduced to their portfolio, they bring you to the the wineries with the stories of these people and who Mm -hmm. they are. And uh, one of them uh, was a very interesting story about it's a woman winemaker. She makes a beautiful Montepulciano. So, I mean, it's just, it takes you there. And they're unique wines. And being in wine Italian studies and looking at the portfolio, for me, a lot of the stuff is confusing. And I'm sure when you read it, you're like, oh, that's interesting, right? Yeah. Tim, I mean, it, <laughs> they are some things that are a little bit different, which it's I not think... just basic you know, Italian styles, it, it's real in-depth, small production stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when, when I bought stuff, Kim, I think some of it was like, you know, 3000 bottles are made in the world. And these gentlemen are bringing it into town for us to buy. So, And that is very, very small production for our listeners. That's like tiny, teeny tiny. Like I yeah. could make that in my basement. <laughs> like yeah. it's Very, small very stuff. small production. And they do also, did you notice, Kim, they import they are the exclusive importers for a glass. Did you see I that? I did see that. Yes. And the glasses look very cool. Did you ever hear of that company before? No. Gra- is it Grassol? G-R-A-S-O-L? Is that how you say it? Grassol? Yes. Yep. So they're designed in Switzerland, made in Slovakia, I believe. And they have exclusive distribution rights in the United States, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking to a friend who went to taste with them, saw the glass, said, you know, I, I need one of these, yeah. right? When they, and they weren't even pitching the glasses. So 
if you're looking for special uh, glassware or stuff like that, they have a very interesting line. And and I'm, I'm pretty sure if you called them for that, they they would sell it to you because it's not illegal to sell you that directly, I believe. Right. right? Glassware, you could, yeah. Be a problem, right? <laughs> it's, it's just the wine that yeah. needs, uh, so, needs a local uh, store to sell, to sell it through. Yeah. But so, these, I mean, that's a good niche farm, I think. Yeah. And, and and we do see a lot of these small importers and small distributors that what they're passionate about is making those personal connections with those producers. And sometimes that is absolutely the lifeline that these small vineyards and these small wineries are looking for. Because maybe they've been trying to break into new markets or they're, they've been you know trying to get into the United States for a really, really long time. And with the way that our system is set up, it can be very difficult because it's expensive. And also, you know, every state functions as its own distribution center. So to have a small local company that is handpicking these wines, is making those connections, and is really helping these small businesses to continue to stay up and running. Um, I love hearing stories like this. <laughs> yeah. Because all the little guys, you love it. And they have to tell the story to me so I can tell the story to the person who's shopping in the store mm -hmm. about the wines. And mm -hmm. when I made my tasting notes and put it on the shelf, I put imported by Franklin's own. And people just, when they see that, they just want to support someone who's has a business in town. So it's not just us that has the business, but the importer that has the business. Mm -hmm. So, and, and nowadays there's less and less of this type of company in, in Massachusetts. They're either getting bought out by the bigger guys or getting their products, what we call in the industry, dueled, where eventually someone will see that these gentlemen, the vine farmer have this line and they want it and they'll approach the winery. And if they don't have a bond with these growers like Jason and Caden do, then they could lose it to a big guy. And then they end up not having any business. So, right. and that's what's happening in the state. A lot of these small guys, you know, between competition of the bigger distributors or now the tariffs, they just can't stay in business. So. Right. And if those little wineries don't have someone here local who is out there on the road pushing that story and telling that story and making their wines be front of mind, then they really can get lost in those big distributors. So, yeah, we have to have them on as guests to tell, you know, their story and ask them more, because one of the things I was thinking, Kim, you, you, these guys, they they were, I guess, traveled a lot to Italy with their family. Mm -hmm. And I want to hear the story because how do you go up? You're in a winery in Italy. You've been there. You go in for a sample tasting and you say, hey, you know, I like these wines. I'd like to bring them to the United States. I want to import them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm a small <laughs> Italian farmer and this kid's coming from the United States. Like, why? Like, hey, like, can I wrap your wines? You know, I'm making 3000 <laughs> bottles. I'm going to send 500 or 100 of them to you in, in Franklin. You know, like, like, why should I do that? <laughs> how does that work? So we yeah. have to, we have to hear that story from them and so our listeners know you know and we you know we once again we say the wine world how interesting you they can just go to these small guys and and now it's right here in our town being distributed all throughout the state and how many yeah. of their wines do you have in the store i think i bought just before the holidays i brought in i think six and honestly i sold out four of them wow yeah i didn't even get the chance to taste them 
Yeah, and it's just interesting <laughs> stuff. And it's not, you know, they're not inexpensive wines, but they're great wines as gifts. Or if you want to tell a story, you want to learn, you know, just unique stuff. I brought in something from uh, Ligoria, which is, you know, just very unusual stuff mm-hmm. to find or in, in mass or even in the United States. They had a very good line from Umbria, a Pinot Noir from Umbria, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I'm a Pinot Noir freak from for wherever it's from. Uh, so just really interesting stuff. And, I, you know, I want to support them. And I know you're like that, too. You like to su- support the yeah. little guy. And uh, just a great story. So people just be aware if you see, you know, we always tell people. And I think when we had uh, Kathy on our show, she was telling people, turn the label over, you know, turn the label over. When you pick it up your wine, you'd be surprised. You might see Franklin, you know, imported by Vine Farmer and Franklin. And it's a way to pick up or, or sort out your wines when you're shopping. Thank you for joining us today for the wonderful world of wine. We have been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We always welcome your questions and comments. And remember that you can listen to us twice a week on WFPR Franklin Radio at 102.9 and past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers. Wine, wine.